Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. We'll be spending all our time in this part of our worship in that place. Matthew 26. Good to see you this morning. I am happy to be here and be able to speak freely. Uh, That was not the case last week. That also means, because I'm no longer feeling under the weather, that I can shake your hand. So, all of you who thought I was mad at you last week, I assure you, uh, things are much better now. We've calmed down, right? And uh, so I'm happy to, uh, to be able to be in good health with you today. Good to see you this morning, and I'm looking forward to uh, a good morning where we're going to have some things to look at from God's Word that I think will be helpful to you. It's been a good week for me in thinking about these things. Uh, so let's begin just by reading. I want to read Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In these verses, we get an intimate picture of Jesus in one of the darkest moments. We know how he is feeling, we know what he is thinking, and we know how he is praying. And so we we could say a lot about Jesus praying about the cup and about Jesus praying for God to find some other way, the idea of Jesus praying, not as I will, but as you will. But what I want to take some time with is sort of the the subplot, the subtext that's going on as Jesus is praying. And that is, Jesus also has an interaction with his disciples. Did you notice it? That he brings three of his closest disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they cannot stay awake. He asks them to watch with him for a little while. And when he comes back and finds them asleep, look at verse 40. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he uses this time, and they're sleeping, to teach them a lesson. Remember, Jesus, like we talked about last week, is always teaching lessons at every point. And here, even though he is in a dark moment, He takes the moment to say, guys, you need to learn something from this. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I find that phrase fascinating. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think it's one of those phrases that we understand naturally, but the more you look at it and focus on it, the more the exact meaning seems to elude us. I think, though, that that thought of the spirit being willing and the flesh being weak, I think that can really help us. Have you, ever, have you ever really wanted to do something? Maybe it's to make a change in your life of some sort, maybe to improve in some way, but you find yourself not doing it. Even though you really want to, you end up not. 
This is that time of year where all of our New Year's resolutions begin to fade. I don't know if you made any New Year's resolutions this year, but it's been about a month. And so in that time, what tends to happen is what began in the beginning of the year as a lot of good intentions now has come usually to very little measurable change, right? So what do we say about that? Is it that we didn't really mean it back in January? Now what we say is there, there might be something else going on. We were sincere in our efforts, and yet there was another factor at play. Have you ever wondered why there are people, and we have people like this in our lives, all of us do, who know the right thing to do. In fact, usually we tell them to do this, and if, you know, if we could just have control of their lives for just a few minutes, yes, parents, I'm talking to you, if we could just have control of their lives for a few minutes, we could get this all straight. Now, why don't you do what you know you should do? I think there are some answers here in the phrase Jesus uses, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I'm going to take some time with that, and I want us to get the, the full meaning from the context, and then I want to make some applications about that that I think will be helpful to us. So this scene, as you're probably already aware, occurs on the night when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, but it doesn't really begin here. It begins when Jesus is eating the Passover meal with his disciples. Look back a few verses in verse 20, Matthew 26 and verse 20. It says, when it was evening, he reclined a table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. So Jesus drops a bomb in the middle of the Passover meal. He says, one of you is going to betray me. These are his twelve. These are the special disciples that were sort of the cream of the crop, and they have been very close to him throughout his ministry. And he says, one of you twelve is going to betray me. And I love their response, because their response to me shows a lot of faith in Jesus. Each one of them says, is it I? And they ask Jesus, really, could it be me? Now, all of them feel the way Peter feels, which is... I would never do that. No, surely it's not me, but they take the time to ask the question because I think they trust Jesus and realize this could be something that could happen even though I might not understand or expect it. And so they ask this question. They're all introspective. And then there is one, Judas, who asks a different question. I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse 22, they all ask, is it I, Lord? But Judas doesn't ask that. In verse 25, Judas asks, is it I, Rabbi? He calls Jesus a different title than the others do. And I wonder if that doesn't reflect a different relationship between Jesus and Judas. But while Judas seems to know that this is going to happen, it's going to happen this night, the other disciples don't seem to pick up on the fact that Jesus has told Judas, yes, you are the one who's going to do this. So that's sad enough that Jesus has kind of brought the, the mood down in the room while they're all eating. But then Jesus starts to take the elements of the Passover meal and talk about how this is uh, sort of foretelling his death, that his body is going to be broken for them, that his blood is about to be poured out, okay, which is, again, going to bring the room down a little bit, especially in light of all the things that he says uh, in John's account in this moment. So then they go out of the upper room and they go out 
where there is another conversation that is, again, a little bit of a downer. But I want you to see this is all a prelude to our text that we're going to focus on. Look in verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus says, Not only is one of you going to betray me, but tonight, now he breaks this bombshell, tonight all of you are going to fall away because of me. Now here's Peter which I'm sure everybody's thinking what Peter's thinking, which is, no way. We're not all going to fall away. But Peter says what everybody else is thinking, which is, verse 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Do you notice the confidence in that? I would never do this. Now, some of these guys, I don't know. I don't know about Bartholomew, you know, maybe so, but, but I would never do that. Then Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, now that you say that, you're not only going to fall away, you're going to deny me tonight. In fact, you're going to do it several times. Three times. And Peter says in verse 35, even if I have to deny you, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Never. All right, so with all of that background, remember, now Peter has emphatically declared his allegiance to Jesus. And I don't think anyone in this audience or really throughout history doubts that Peter means what he says in this moment. Peter is all on board. Peter is 100% in. He's ready to bring out his sword and defend Jesus. He's ready to die with him. But there is something else involved here. And I think that's what Jesus is going to get at with this statement, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So verse 36, then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he takes Peter, James, and John, which is sort of the inner circle, and he says, you guys come with me, and here's what I want you to do. I'm very upset. I'm going to go pray. All I want you to do is stay here and watch with me. And that word watch has the, the dual meaning of, of watching, being vigilant, like you're watching for an enemy coming. But it also has the idea of just staying awake. Well, they're going to fail in this. That the one thing Jesus asks them to do to sort of be with him and comfort him in a distressing time he says, please just be here, and they're not going to be able to do it. So verse 39, Jesus goes and prays. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Notice that he says that in verse 40. He said to Peter. Now, there are three of them here. But he says this specifically to Peter. And then when the, he says, you, could you not watch with me? The yous in this text are plural. So he's talking to everybody, but he seems to be specifically singling out Peter. Maybe perhaps that Peter is sort of the, the spokesman for the group as he was a little earlier. So could you not watch with me one hour? Couldn't you just stay awake for a little while. Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, he says. Watch and pray. This is what he had already told them to do. Watch, 
Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch while I go pray over there. But see, what Jesus is saying here is it's not just me who needs to watch and pray. It's not just me that the crisis is coming for tonight. It's not just me who may be led into temptation tonight. He is saying, you need to watch and pray too, because you are going to be tested tonight too. So while I'm in the midst of this battle, you're going to be soon. And he says the only way you can protect yourself from what is coming is to watch and pray. He says in verse 41 there, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I think we need to take a minute to think about what is being said here. I believe that when he says the spirit, I think he means the human spirit, the part of us that desires and wills. He is saying, I know you want to do this. I know you want to stay awake. I know you want to watch with me. The spirit is willing, but there is something else at work. The flesh is weak. Jesus often uses the term flesh to describe human beings, just in our humanity. Sometimes he'll talk about that when he says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. What he's saying is, flesh and blood is referring to people, humanity. A person didn't tell you this, God told you this. Or he'll say, unless those days were shortened in Matthew 24, no flesh would be saved. He means no, no person, no human. So, he, when he says the flesh is weak, he is talking about that part of humanity that then plays an impact. It's not just that we have desires, and those desires are always instantly met. There are other factors, including our flesh. So Jesus is saying, I know you want to do right, but your flesh also has a say. Now, in this case, you may want to stay awake and watch with me, but you're sleepy. You're tired. In fact, Luke says they're sleeping from sorrow, that their body is feeling the impact and the pressure of this moment. I'm sure we've all had this happen to us, right? Where in moments of intense distress... Our bodies seem to be affected by what we're feeling. Sometimes maybe we're even exhausted. Sometimes we can't go to sleep. Sometimes all we can do is sleep. And the body is responding to what we're feeling. So you might not want to have that reaction. The spirit may be willing, but the flesh still has a say. So Jesus says, your sleeping is a microcosm of the bigger problem. And I think what he's referring to when he says the spirit is willing is back to what Peter said. When Peter said, even if they all fall away, I will never fall away. Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. He is saying, I am willing, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, I know. I know you're willing. But willing is not the whole battle. You can still fail even when you're willing. And Peter is going to fail tonight, even though he's willing. So he is saying there's something more you need to pay attention to. Why would Peter do something he doesn't want to do? Why would he deny Jesus when he doesn't want to? Jesus' answer is, spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again, the second time he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again... He went and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So he comes back the second time, and they're asleep again, despite the warning. And Jesus doesn't even bother them this time. He just lets them sleep, goes back and prays again, and then comes back and says, Hey, guys, enough sleeping. We'll do that later. Uh, the time has come. So, Jesus' point. 
when he uses this phrase, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, is that sometimes executing what we want to do is about more than willpower. We tend to think like Peter. We tend to think that the most important battle, in fact, the only battle, is do you want to do what is right? We would say something about somebody like Peter. Have you ever found yourself saying something like this? Well, his heart is in the right place. He wants to do the right thing. Sometimes we say that about our kids. And we understand and acknowledge that there is a difference between somebody in outright rebellion and somebody who is trying but struggling. What Jesus is saying here is sometimes we underestimate the pull of the flesh. We underestimate the pull of sin. And that sin may add a complicating factor to the idea that we want to do what's right. So why do we do wrong even when we don't want to do wrong? We do wrong because there is a part of us that still wants to do wrong. That part that Jesus calls the flesh. So, what do we do about that? What is Jesus teaching us to do so that we do do what we want to do? I want to give you a few ideas here from the text. And hopefully, this will help bring some of this home in a way that's more practical than what we've talked about so far. The first thing Jesus tells us to do in response to this problem of a willing spirit and weak flesh is that we need to reach out to God. Look again at verse 41, Matthew 26 and verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. He is saying you need God's help to overcome this. Now we're going to talk more about watch in a moment. But I want you to think about pray for a minute. Do you see his phrasing in verse 41? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like how Jesus teaches the disciples to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word temptation means testing. And it is a kind of an open word, the way it's used in the New Testament. That is, sometimes testing can be going through a hard time where your faith is challenged. And sometimes testing can be being offered sin and having to make a choice as to whether we're going to obey God or obey Satan. Temptation can mean either one. And so what he is saying is, you pray that you don't enter into that kind of testing. You pray because you need God's help with this. And when you really think about that, there is a deep humility in that prayer. The humility that says, I know I'm still capable of falling. Even though, like Peter, I might think I would never do something like that. I still don't want to be tested about it because I know I'm not so strong. I'm not so good that I couldn't still fall. That is the humility Jesus teaches us to have in approaching temptation. That we ask God, if there's any other path, any other way, lead me down that path. Don't lead me into temptation. It's really easy for us when we have been a Christian for a little while, like Peter, things are going well, to begin to think that we kind of have things under control, we're doing pretty well, and that we could manage in difficult circumstances. We know ourselves, like Peter, we know I love God, I love Jesus, I want to do what's right, this is really my heart, I'm really all in. And yet there is a humility missing from Peter, isn't there? 
where he needs to be able to say, well, wait a minute. Just because I don't think I would deny Jesus doesn't mean I won't. Just because I think things are going well doesn't mean that they're always going to go well. So what prayer is, prayer is a way we invite God back into the process. It's not just about me. Oh, yeah, God told me to do this. I'm just going to do what God says. I'm just going to live my life and do all these things. It's also about God leading me in the right way and giving me strength to resist in those things. I am saying, God, please help me to do what I want to do. My spirit is willing, even if my flesh is weak, and I need your help. Paul often uses the picture of the flesh and the spirit. Usually, Paul uses it in a different way than Jesus does here. Usually when Paul talks about flesh and spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to see is Paul teaches us that God is trying to save us in both the flesh and the spirit, to redeem us and strengthen us in both ways, to change both parts of us. So this is Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. I'm sorry, I need to do this side, don't I? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I especially want you to notice this phrase right here at the end of verse 13, to will and to work. Those are the two elements we're talking about, the spirit and the flesh. The, the, the desire, the will that we want to do what's right. Jesus says the Spirit is willing, but then the work is where we actually do what's right, the execution. And he says, Paul is saying in this text, that God is working in both of those areas of our lives to change us so that, yes, we want to do what's right, and yes, we end up doing what's right so that the Spirit and the flesh become one, both directed toward God. So what he says to do is you work out your own salvation because it's God who is working in you. You keep doing the work that you can because God is a part of the process. So if God is working in me so that both my spirit and my flesh are his, then what I do when I reach out to God, when I pray to God, is I am asking God, help me to fully submit to your will. Help me. So, Jesus tells us, pray for God's help. As you see yourself getting stronger and wiser and better, give glory to God, because it's God who's at work in you. He is doing what he said he would. And then remain aware of the limitations of your flesh and reach out to God for help. Second, what I see in this text is that we need to address both the spirit and the flesh. Jesus says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If I am going to make changes in my life, I am going to need to engage both spirit and flesh in that pursuit. It's not enough to want to be different. I have to actually be different. And the way New Testament writers talk about that is they talk about it as a battle that's going on within us. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Notice the passions of the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There are passions in the flesh 
that wage war against the soul. They are battling against the will. So I want to do right, but there's something else that's warring against it. And he says, the answer to that is you abstain from those passions. You don't let them rule in your life. So while certainly it's important for us to want to do what's right, and we could preach whole lessons about how important it is to give our will to God, there is also this, that we have to choose to actually do what God says. It's not enough to just want it. This is Galatians 5 and verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. I want you to notice the Spirit there is capitalized. This is the Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The same idea is here that there's a battle. It's a battle between God's will for us, the Spirit, and our own desires. That part of us that is flesh. And he says that battle keeps going on. We have choices to make. And if we are going to fight against the flesh, then we have to address both the part of us that wills and the part of us that actually does. Paul just is more blunt in this text, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we are going to stop doing things we don't truly want to do, we have to stop making provision for the flesh. Don't let it have any room. Be prepared to challenge it and to fight against it. All right, well, I don't know about you, but when somebody says stuff like that, I wonder, what on earth do you mean? So let me tell you what I mean. First of all, first of all, we have to address the spirit. That is our human spirit, our desire, our will. And we say, I have to fully want at all times to follow the Lord and do what's right. I want to be motivated to do this, and I want to see the good that comes from doing good, the blessing it is to my life. But then... We address the flesh by being diligent. Jesus says, watch and pray. Be focused, be aware that there are always opportunities for something to appeal to your flesh and to try to draw you away from God. That's what the disciples seem to have forgotten here. And Jesus says, you should be watching, not only staying awake, but on the lookout for things that are going to trip you up, even though your heart is in the right place and your spirit is willing to be aware, to be diligent. So that's about focus and intentionality. It's also about humility, that I'm not above this. I haven't grown past it, that that's always a possibility. I will call my fleshly weakness what it is. I will do what I can to stop it. We also address the flesh with accountability. That is... We need other people who are going to help us not give in to evil. We don't want to let other people down. We want other people to know us and to be honest with us and to call us to account when we need it. We need them, like Jesus does, we need them to come pray with us and help us when we are in times of need. We address the flesh with decisive action. That is what I call it when Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He is not saying, hurt your body. Stop your flesh by cutting it off. What he is saying is, there is decisive action that is required. Do what needs to be done. Can I fill that in with some practical things? That means, not bodily mutilation. That means, yes to getting rid of the computer when I can't control my pornography problem. That means, yes to ending the relationship with the person who's pressuring me toward fornication. That means, 
yes, I'm done hanging out in places where I'm going to be tempted to do evil. That even when I know I could control myself, I'm not going to lead myself into temptation. I'm going to try to stay away from those things with decisive action. I even find it helpful to make rules for myself that are short of the line of sin, just so that I know I'm not going to get into a position where I will be even more strongly tempted to sin. So, don't deceive yourself like Peter did. If you're going to be a true follower, you need to address your spirit and also your flesh. The third thing I want to say, I know I've got about a minute left here, is have compassion on other people. When Jesus addresses them, did you notice in verse, verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus seems to understand them. I'm impressed with that. Jesus has some compassion on them. He is acknowledging, look, I know your spirit is willing. It's like when Paul says, I bear them witness, talking about the Jews, I bear them witness that they have zeal for God. That's good. It's just not according to knowledge. He says, look, I know your heart's in the right place. It just doesn't make it okay for you to fail. But there is compassion in saying, I understand. I understand. Sometimes we get awfully hard on other people. We just say things like, why can't they fix the problem? Why can't you just stop drinking? Why can't you just get over the hurt that you feel? Why can't you just quit talking that way? Just stop. We easily forget that our flesh is weak too. We forget. I understand that sometimes there's rebellion and people who just refuse to, to do what's right, and they're not interested in doing right. That's not really what I'm talking about. That's not really what Jesus is addressing here. I am saying, there are times when well-meaning people trying to do the right thing make mistakes. And we can relate to that, right? Because we make mistakes even when we're well-meaning. So can't we have compassion on people who are trying to do right and sometimes fail? Please don't mistake me. I'm not saying that we just wink at sin or sin is not a big deal. I am saying we know what it is to sin even when we don't intend to. And so we need compassion on other people to say, I get it. Let's work on it. Let's address these other things and let's try to do better. So in all of this, my overall takeaway is about humility. My overall takeaway is I'm not above the same pressures and weaknesses that are universal. I'm not so good that I'll never fall away or never make a mistake, but neither is anyone else. Yet what Jesus is doing is saying there's still hope here, even for people who are weak, that with God's help and God's work in our lives, we follow more and more closely to him, and we can do what we truly want to do when the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Thank you for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our class.